So yeah, if you could just roughly outline for the listeners how much protein is needed to build muscle. Yeah, Abel, that's a great question. And you know, several studies have looked at this problem and compared people who eat different amounts of protein and... And also on top of that, not just studies, but also meta-analyses have been carried out to examine this question. Oh my God, stop interrupting me. In the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast, we believe in the interviewer not interrupting the guest, or at least not talk straight over the guest. Alright guys, so this is SSD, Sustainable Self-Development, a podcast for people who want to get ahead in fitness and in life without driving themselves crazy. So if you want to look up a year from now and think, damn, I came a long way, but you don't want to burn out in the process as you get there, you came to the right place. We'll get into today's episode in just a second, but just want to let you know that we have an awesome community on Facebook in the form of a group which you can join, where we discuss and debate things, drop ideas debate over which person to interview for the next podcast and all that good stuff so go to facebook type in sustainable self-development or you can just check the show notes here and click the link there and you'll find the sustainable self-development facebook group and you can join also not sure where you're listening to this right now but this podcast is available on a variety of platforms itunes soundcloud podbeam and youtube you can find it on all of these platforms if you just type in sustainable self-development because luckily nobody is weird enough to name themselves in such a way except me so look me up on these places and follow the show by subscribing so that you don't miss future episodes and with that let's get into the show Hey guys, in this episode, I'll play you an interview that a buddy of mine and fellow podcaster Sotak Andre has done with me on the topic of ad libitum or intuitive eating. Uh, Andre has a podcast called the Muscle Engineer Podcast where he does real cool interviews with some top minds in the fitness industry, generally in the realms of scientific, evidence-based nutrition and training principles. So it was an honor to be on his podcast And besides intuitive eating, we also tangentially discuss some of the crazy stuff we used to do in our fitness journeys when we didn't know better. So trust me, you'll hear some funny stories here. Uh, And I hope you'll enjoy this podcast episode and be sure to go ahead and check out Andre's podcast, the Muscle Engineer podcast, the link of which is provided in the show notes slash video description. Also, all of the resources and videos, podcast episodes that I have done up until now on the topic of intuitive eating or just eating at libitum without tracking your macros while still being on track towards your body composition goals. All of those are linked in the show notes slash video description, so go ahead and check those out. The two main big episodes that initially inspired this podcast conversation between me and Andre were based on my two-part series on intuitive eating. It was about an hour and a half in total, so be sure to go ahead and check those out. Those are also, of course, linked in the show notes. And with that, let's get into this episode. Hello and welcome back to the Muscle Engineer Podcast. I am your host Sotak Andre and this is episode 12 in which I'm about to be joined by my good buddy Abel Chobai to discuss the polarizing and uh, controversial topic of intuitive eating or the more technical definition ad libitum dieting. Abel is the host of the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast where he interviews people in uh, fitness and personal development related topics 
and he puts out a lot of content on topics such as the psychology of dieting, creating a sustainable approach to training and nutrition, training principles and uh, approaches, and general self-improvement. So the reason I wanted to have him on was because a couple of weeks ago he put out uh, two highly informative videos on the topic of intuitive eating and um, he went very in-depth into why he quit macro tracking and um, also gave a bunch of practical suggestions on uh, how to transition into a more intuitive eating approach and um, what factors you should take into account. So I will link those two videos uh, in the description of this episode but for this one I wanted to kind of follow up on that topic and um, discuss some of the things he addressed there but also uh, some related topics such as having realistic expectations, goal setting, set points, who is intuitive eating for and who is it not for, the fear some people seem to have that if they stop tracking their macros they'll turn a beast overnight and a bunch of related topics so I hope you will enjoy this and um, you will find it valuable so without further ado here is episode 12 of the Master Engineer podcast with Abel Chobai. Abel Chobai, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Andre or Andras, I don't know how your listeners are calling you. Thank, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's um, my pleasure. I respond to both of those, so <laughs> no big deal. Cool. Okay, so um, uh, Andre, that, that sounds cooler. That sounds kind of Russian, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm told that I have a Russian accent, so... <laughs> that's fit that fits perfectly yeah it's kind of true actually now that you're saying it yeah <laughs> i will have to ask mike israel what he thinks about my my impostor russian accent yeah yeah well um he actually told me the other day that i sound like jean-claude van damme when i'm talking so uh, that that's pretty hard to beat yeah i heard that <laughs> so um i wanted to have you on to discuss a bit the topic of intuitive eating because uh, you've made to very in-depth and very insightful videos that I will make sure to link in the description of this one so people can check that out if they are interested in a bit more in-depth approach of this topic but um, for today I wanted to follow up on that and maybe outline some of the strategies that you described there and maybe touch on a slightly different um, topics and perspectives but uh, just to give people a bit of a background on your journey could you tell us a bit um, your experience with tracking maybe how that started and how that has evolved throughout the years and what made you transition into a more intuitive eating style yeah sure so um i think my my journey with macro tracking was pretty similar to that of most people's so I think as soon as I kind of uh, fought my way through all the nonsense and, and kind of BS fitness uh, advice that is circulating out there and realized that energy balance is, is probably the biggest factor that or the biggest factor that will determine how lean you will get and really manipulating your calories is your biggest tool to manipulate your, your body composition. And as soon as I kind of accepted this reality that despite of what a lot of kind of gurus out there like to say, calories do matter and they matter a lot, I really started to, to go hard at, at tracking. And that's when I achieved the body composition goals that I had for a long time, which was getting to real lean levels, you know, deep into the single digit body fat uh, percentage ranges. And really from then on for a good 
year or so, I would say. I, I had my, I would say, honeymoon phase with macro tracking. I never really tracked all three macronutrients, but I tracked protein and calories very precisely. And, you know, the whole process for a while was really enjoyable and, and fulfilling for me. I, I almost viewed it as some kind of a life hack or ninja hack that allows me to just have abs all the time while all my friends were just wishing that they had abs and I could just tweak things around and it allowed me to fit in all kinds of fun foods into my diet while, you know, not gaining fat or even dropping fat depending on what my goals were. And, you know, after some time, it just kind of started to get kind of old. I mean, after some time, you just realize that, okay, I'm tracking my macros, I'm still lean, and a few months later, I am still lean, so this shit clearly works. So uh, once you kind of get over this initial excitement that that uh, you are able to manipulate your body to your liking, of course, the prospect of, of trying something more flexible and less rigid started to become more and more appealing. And that was also around the time when I actually found out that a lot of the, the people that I looked up to in the fitness world, some of the evidence-based um, authorities and coaches, people like Eric Helms, Alberto Nunez, some of these people actually don't track their macros year-round. Uh, a lot of them go through long periods when they kind of just eat, quote-unquote, intuitively, or they just eat based on hunger and satiety. So it started to become kind of an interesting prospect or a, 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 a mental exercise that I just started to play around with, like, what would happen if I stopped tracking my macros? Also around that time, I took the um, personal trainer certification course from the Bayesian bodybuilding team. I'm not affiliated with them or anything, um, but that's how it was. And I learned more about the science of ad libitum dieting and intuitive eating. And... Um, was becoming more and more attractive to me to try it, but I always kind of philosophically approached it and then moved away from this uh, approach because A, I was still early on in my body composition journey, so I kind of have the mindset of I still have all this potential to transform my body, so I don't want to leave anything to guessing. I really want to rely on the most objective data that I can in the form of, of numbers. And sometimes I also heard some of the people that I looked up to in the fitness industry who were not a big fan of the approach of ad libitum eating for uh, changing your body composition. And because I looked up to them, they always kind of made up my mind. So I always kind of approached this prospect and then I moved away. And so basically fast forward another year, so two years after I went hard at macro tracking, I had my honeymoon phase, then I kind of got bored of it and... Then, unfortunately, I kind of started um, developing some not-so-hot relationships with food and eating, which was not only due to macro tracking, of course. There were, there were a lot of things that played into it. You know, in general, I was just not really prioritizing being happy and, and living a fun life in general. Um, but macro tracking definitely played a role in it in that when you're following a pretty precise and kind of rigid approach such as tracking your calories very precisely and not wanting to deviate from that day to day, then um, if you don't have the most flexible mindset in general, then it can be pretty challenging to make other things fit into your lifestyle, such as you know eating out with friends or going out of town, going to travel, weekend trips and things of that nature. So because of this and because of other factors, ironically, at some point, I was get basically getting the, the worst of all worlds. So I was not really having fun with my life. But because I was kind of getting burnt out on macro tracking, I was falling off the wagon also quite a lot. So 
at some point, basically, I had my kind of uh, come to Jesus moment when I said uh, like, something has to change. Like this is kind of ridiculous. I'm I'm not getting the body composition outcomes that I want anymore. But I'm also not having fun. So I will try something new. And that's when I I actually stopped tracking my macros. And um, you know, I'm not saying that this is the result that necessarily everybody is going to get. But my body composition actually changed very very favorably. So I actually ended up dropping a fair amount of body fat. I realized that um, some of the kind of conceptions that I, I had in my head about what my food preferences are of how big of an eater I am turned out to be false when I actually started eating more based on body signals. And um, since then, I would say I, I made some of the, the best progress uh, with my body composition uh, that I have for a long while. And I would say that in terms of my relationship with my nutrition and eating, and in relation to what body composition I'm able to achieve is, is probably the best that it's ever been. And I'm not claiming that, you know, intuitive eating is magic or anything like this. But this made me very confident that uh, a lot more people could benefit from this compared to what they would think. Basically, that's my short story with it. Yeah, that's um, very interesting. And uh, I can certainly see many better things with what I have experienced with um, tracking macros. I remember back when I started back in, I don't know, 2012, maybe something like that. I had a period when I uh, I was trying to hit my macro spot on, like I would try to nail exactly 250 carbs and exactly 50 fat, exactly 200 protein, something like that. I, rem- I even have, I'm not sure if I still have them on Facebook, but I know I, um, I posted a picture, a screenshot of essentially hitting them on the spot. <laughs> and I remember being so proud. Yeah, I mean, I mean, definitely uh, during that time, I also, I was very precise, but it was not a burden. You know, I, it was something that at that time, I honestly had the mindset that this is the ultimate state that one should aim to, to get to with their nutrition. I thought that I would be tracking my macros precisely for the rest of my life, because why wouldn't I? This, this allows me to get the best results. And whenever someone asked me if it's necessary to to track macros, I kind of gave them the kind of the tough love that, well, you know, you don't have to, but if you want to look good, well, then suck it up or stay fat. So basically that was my attitude. But that, I, I think that's that kind of outlook is, um, I wouldn't say is unavoidable if you want to get to a more flexible place eventually, but it can be a very useful experience to go through at least for one period to really have some more perspective on how necessary it is because after some like you can't really judge whether some certain strategy is really inevitable to achieve your goals until you've actually tried it and then later on moved away from it i i think yeah definitely and the funny thing is ever since then i i haven't stopped tracking technically because i know i had a 380 day streak something like that and then um, at least that's how it worked. I'm not sure if it still works that way. But back then, if you didn't um, log the, um, your food diary until midnight, then you would lose your streak. And I remember I was um, home at my parents and I didn't have mobile internet back then. And I logged my foods on my phone. But uh, since I didn't have the internet, I couldn't synchronize with the server. And I, <laughs> when I came back... Um, the place I lived I forgot actually to synchronize it so uh, I lost the streak and then next day I started over and since then I have um, almost a 1400 day streak (laughs) holy shit that's impressive yeah and honestly I just I still track it because like like you said um, it's not a burden I don't feel it and 
I don't track everything every day, but I still log at least something so I don't lose that streak. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, I have a lot of um, funny memories, like some of them are maybe a bit too intimate for your listeners, but I, I had these few moments of, of realization where I just looked up and I was like, what the hell am I doing? So one example that comes to mind was, um, you know, I was I was sitting in a coffee shop with my with my girlfriend at the time. And um, she looked at my phone and I was Googling like um, orgasm calorie burn or something like that. And, you know, she was like, what the hell are you looking at? And I was like, oh, you know, and it was not it was not a compulsive thing. It was just the kind of stuff that I was thinking in my free time, because just just like, why not? And another time like this was when, you know, I, I learned about how protein is not really four calories per gram, but more like three point two. And uh, then I was reading these pages and pages of forum discussions about should you change your calorie target based on this? Because, I mean, it's, you know, 0.8 calories less per gram of protein that you consume. And then I was reading through like three pages of bodybuilding.com forum discussions on this. And then someone commented eventually like, oh, my God, I'm so glad that I'm not thinking about this stuff that you guys are thinking about. And that was like one moment where I was like, holy shit, what am I doing? Like, I've been reading this shit for 30 minutes like, what the hell am i doing with my life yeah it's funny because um well i started lifting in 2011 and heck what do you do well you join a local forum so i joined the romanian equivalent of the bodybuilding.com forum and i i became pretty active there like i had a couple thousand of replies and um i kind of went against the conventional wisdom so to speak so i remember i started doing uh upper lower workouts twice a week <laughs> in 2012 and that was partially after seeing uh, Matt August's Q&A videos with Eric Harms I posted that I would do a, such a routine and everyone told me that well you will definitely overtrain anyway and then I got banned because I um, well I was essentially logging my food diary there and I said that I um, put 10-20 um, grams of sugar on my cottage cheese and they banned me because that's stupid. You can do that. Wow. You won't lose fat. Yeah. And that was probably a blessing because that made me abandon the Romanian uh, sphere and look towards the Helms-esque, a more international um, community, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think that um, hardcore follower kind of mindset that um, that can certainly develop in this field when you really start following someone. I, I don't think that ever really dies. So... I remember saying this for a long time, but I kind of wish I never learned about macros and all that shit. So I would just be able to look at food like a normal people instead of seeing the numbers, whether you want it or not. Yeah, and this is something we are going to talk about now, I'm sure. But, you know, we, we forget that, you know, we have lived life and we're not obese. And probably a lot of us were in fairly good shape before we even ever counted one calorie or even knew what calories were or macros were. So it's something to keep in mind. Well, maybe you were, I wasn't. <laughs> but anyway, so just to kind of clarify things a bit, one of the things that annoyed me for a long time when it came to in intuitive eating was the elusive definition that people used. Like you would see 10 people use 10 different definitions and kind of tweak and morph the definition of it to fit their narrative or their goals or their spiel or whatever they had going on so just for yourself what does intuitive intuitive eating mean what does it mean to eat intuitively and maybe how does it differ from simply listening to your body and telling you 
what it wants. Yeah, so um, I would say that if like intuitive eating is more of the brand name or the popular term to call this whole thing, and, and the reason why I tend to use it is simply because of the fact that more people know what it is. Ad libitum eating, I think, would be a lot more appropriate, but I'm just always concerned that not enough people will know what that is. But really, um, what I mean by intuitive eating is just eating based on hunger and satiety mechanisms and doing so within the constraints of your goals and with allowing your nutritional knowledge to overhaul all of this. So, you know, intuitive eating and, and just listening to your intuitions will mean something very different if you have the proper nutritional knowledge. You know what foods contain, you know, the nutrients that you want to have a lot of in your diet, which is protein, which foods contain a lot of fiber, which which foods are just sneakily high in calories, such as, you know, nuts or dark chocolate, nut butters, things like this. Once you are familiar with these things and um, once you have a certain structure in place, then intuitive eating or listening to your body will mean something very different than uh, if you're just um, kind of deeming all signals from your body the same. So, you know, if you're sitting in front of the TV and you feel kind of bored and you think, okay, chocolate sounds, sounds kind of good or those potato chips sound kind of good, you have to realize that that's kind of the equivalent of, you know, listening to your intuitions when you feel depressed and you feel like maybe you should get drunk to forget about your problems. You know, after some point, if you're an adult, you just learn that certain intuitions you should just not listen to because they're not serving you well. And, and I think that's where the distinction has to be made, that in, it's, it's not literally listening to your emotions and intuitions, because we have to realize that at some point, our kind of monkey brains were just form, shaped with, through evolution to make us desire things that are not really conducive to proper body composition outcomes or the body composition outcomes that we look for. I think that the best way to call it would be auto-regulated eating, or just um, using other surrogates other than objective data, which is numbers. So listening to body signals like hunger and satiety, and then looking at um, your body composition changes, which could be tracking body weight or um, tracking body fat through different means. So maybe waist, circumference, or calipers, any, anything like this. So that's how I would define it. Yeah, you touched on so many good points and... The way you described it or defined it is uh, definitely very different from uh, what a lay person might make of it from simply hearing the term of intuitive eating or listening to your body because if we are being honest, <laughs> that's exactly what most people do. They listen to their body and eat intuitively and um, their intuition tells them to eat uh, the pizza <laughs> and the donut and the ice cream and that shiny package whatever food item that is on the shelf that is apparently discounted even though it's actually more expensive than it was yesterday but it says it's discounted so it's obviously must be discounted so you must buy it yeah first first it's, it's, it's very important to to know and and i think uh, we are going to touch on this later i'm sure but first you you have to learn through experience and through just being familiar with basic nutritional concepts of what are the body signals that you should listen to? So a craving, for example, craving a certain food, craving, you know, something really sweet or, um, you know, high fat, high sugar, craving a piece of cake. Th that is a craving. That is not something that uh, you should listen to, you know, hunger or um, in certain contexts, you know, craving something protein rich or something higher in fat. Those can be things that you can listen to or you should listen to. But, you know, just craving something really, really tasty 
that is just a, um, a psychological thing that you basically just got habituated to over time. It's really not different than um, someone craving uh, a cigarette, you know, when they're trying to quit smoking. It's like, yeah, my body is telling me that I should smoke, but it doesn't mean that I should listen to it. So yeah, important distinction there. Yeah, so um, what are the necessary prerequisites someone might um, have to tick off or um, get a grasp of before they can safely transition into an intuitive eating strategy? So I would say that most of it comes down to being familiar with foods. So, um, you know, most people have, I would say, a pretty good general intuition in terms of what types of foods constitute to a, a proper nutrition plan if they want to look good. I mean, all of us have, have friends who, uh, when they want to lose weight, they cannot do it successfully without knowing what calories and macros are because they just start eating a lot of vegetables, salads, things like this. Uh, and then we, of course, in the fitness world, take it a step further because we also know what foods contain high amounts of protein, which foods give us nice mouthfeels of food, high volume stuff without contributing to a lot of calories. We also know what foods are just kind of our culprit foods, which is very important. So I know for myself what are the foods that I should just not keep in the house because in the bad moments, I may go overboard with them. And and this is something that can be learned without tracking macros, of course. But if you have been tracking calories and uh, and your protein intake at least pretty meticulously for even just a week or two, then you get a pretty good feel for you know what are the foods that in a general sense are just worth having in your diet what are the foods that give you the kind of the best bang for your buck, so to speak, in terms of they satiate you, they taste pretty good, so you feel satisfied, but it still allows you to be within your goals or, or within your targets. So I know what those foods are for me, and I would have those foods if I track my macros or if I don't track my macros. So I don't need to rely on macro tracking at this point to progress towards my goals while eating those foods. Uh, but if I didn't know that, then I would be like, okay, I like I like nuts, I like nut butters, I like dipping my whatever rice cakes into peanut butter. And that surely tastes really good, but I know because of my tracking background that that would just add up calories really, really fast. So I would say having a good calorie awareness and having a good intuition based on experience in terms of what foods are adding up calories really fast and what are the foods that are convenient for you to eat if you want to drop fat, maintain, or gain. And I would say, to summarize this, the prerequisite is to track for a while. I, I think that that's just a very useful experience for most people to go through. And if you don't want to go through that and you just want to uh, start intuitive eating right away, which is probably not a lot of your listeners, but when someone asks me, you know, do I have to track calories or macros at all if I want to look good or can I just transition into or can I just start eating intuitively right away? My, the answer is yes, you can. You can just start intuitively eating at first, but it will probably involve a larger learning curve where you will have these aha moments of like, oh, wow, I was a thousand calories over probably or I weigh over eight or my body composition is not going in the direction I want. And it's because I'm including a lot of those foods that are not fulfilling the criteria that I, I just mentioned before. If we are talking about um, client situation or when someone comes to you for help, it depends a lot on what they want and what are the goals. And I find that people kind of find it hard to be honest and realistic with themselves with what are their goals and what they are trying to actually put in. Because 
I work at a gym as a personal trainer and whenever a client comes to me with usually with fat loss goals, I ask them upfront, do you know what a calorie is? Well, they don't give me the technical definition, but they know that it's related to the energy content of the food. Great. Awesome. We've ticked that box. Okay, the next question usually is, have you been tracking them at all? And or do you want to track them? The usual answer is no. Okay. And then the usual um, way things go or unfold is I give them a nutritional breakdown and some nutritional guidelines on, like you said, the most common types of foods, the three different macronutrients that there are, which foods contain which ones, and then give them some sort of a template. This would be 30 grams of protein. This is how it would look from these kinds of sources and just have one. And for most people, that that's a good starting point and it actually gets them on the right path and it also gives them that um, basic knowledge that they want. However, if someone comes to me and they say, I want to lose this amount of weight in this amount of time or the other day a guy asked me in the locker, well, um, well I'm lean, but I want to put on more muscle. What should I do? And I asked him, do you have any idea what your calories are? No, but I eat a lot. Well, okay, <laughs> if you are not putting on muscle, then obviously you're not eating enough. Because the guy was pretty lean, so the whole body recomposition thing kind of just goes out the window at 10% body fat. I explained to him, look, you got to decide what you want. If you are serious with gaining muscle, you will actually have to put in some time, a week or two, a month, something like that, to actually figure out how many calories you're consuming, where are your maintenance levels, and then go above them. If you find that uh, it's too big of a sacrifice for you, that's fine, but then uh, be realistic that you are not that serious about putting on muscle. So what I personally find frustrating is when com someone comes to me and like they don't want to do any of the prerequisite things, like they don't even want to pay attention, like you said, to food choices and society cues and all that stuff, they don't want to track either, but they also want at the same time these uh, stellar results that they might have seen on Instagram or something. <laughs> and they expect me to magically somehow um, snap my fingers and or pull out um, crystal globe or something like that and just make things magically happen and unfortunately that's not how things work yeah it's it's um it's a very good point that you know no matter who you are it if you want to achieve any kind of body composition goals it at least requires that you have some level of understanding of the general hierarchies of, of nutrition and and that you don't miss the forest for the trees so if if you're the kind of person who is asking you know, is it good to have a, a teaspoon of cinnamon in my post-workout shake? Will that make a, a difference? If you're in that boat right now, then the number one priority for you is, is to just really learn the things that matter. You know, pick up something like the, the nutritional high, uh, pyramid books of Eric Helms or, or just look up the videos on YouTube. You know, understand that how much you eat matters. You know, there are no magic foods. There are no single ingredients that you should add or subtract from your nutrition to, to make huge differences. Calories, whether you track them or not, matter. Eating enough protein if you build muscle, if you want to build muscle, matters. And, you know, what you eat before bed or what you eat right after waking up or whether you have two cups of coffee a day or just one, these are like, you know, the cherry on top of the icing of the cake. And uh, until you understand that, you're basically just setting yourself up for endless times of wheel spinning. And that's why, you know, it's very challenging for me many times to give advice to just friends who are just getting into working out. And they ask me, what's a good stuff to eat 
right after waking up. And I'm like, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm like, okay, so we need to start way farther than that. And But when I start talking about the big picture, of course, I see their eyes glazing over. So it's, it's pretty challenging. But yeah, it requires some big picture thinking to really implement any of this. You said previously that we all have friends who just kind of shift things around and get lean. And unfortunately, that's very often the source of the dietary dogmatism we see um, usually with the low-carb, high-fat proponents or keto proponents that they don't take energy balance into account and they do those things that you said. They cut out the carbs and replace them with um, some steak or something and um, unknowingly create a huge calorie deficit and then lose fat and then somehow calories are irrelevant because they did this. <laughs> An even bigger issue is that a lot of the public figures, for some reason, you know, because nutrition is something that everybody knows something about. It's not like, you know, not a lot of people are trying to be intuitive engineering experts or uh, whatever. They, they don't try to claim things that they know, that they don't actually know about these complex topics. But nutrition is something that everybody at least has some type of insight into. And a lot of these public figures that people look up to, you know, Jordan Patterson, you know, amazing, you know, psychologist and, and philosopher, amazing concepts. But, you know, I, I heard him speaking in a webinar or something about how, you know, cutting out carbohydrates is, is an amazing way to drop a lot of fat. And, you know, and, and that's where people are going to get their information from. Or Tim Ferriss, you know, all of a sudden one day he decided that he's a nutritional expert. No, he's an amazing marketer and a great investor. He's not a nutrition expert. So that's a huge issue. Everybody is apparently qualified to have an expert opinion on nutrition. And when people that have a large amount of following will buy into that stuff, then that just opens up the floodgates to a huge amount of problems. So, yeah, that, that would be my input on that one. So... We have already addressed partially who intuitive eating is not for, <laughs> but just to really clarify things, in your opinion, who or in what situations would be intuitive eating the best for and in what scenarios would maybe not be a good idea? So let's start with who is it not good for. I would say it's not good for people, and I, I was very upfront about this in the in the podcast episodes that I've done for my own podcast, that it's not good for people who have extreme body composition goals. So, you know, if you are a bodybuilder and you want to get down to the shredded levels of, you know, like really 7% or under, ad libitum eating or intuitive eating is is just not the way to do it. You can do it. It's still doable. You know, Menno Henselmans, for example, he has done it for his contest prep. But I've, I've talked to him in person about this and he said that his basically by the end of getting to that level of leanness, he ate nothing else but strawberries, chicken, and like green veggies or, or something like that, and like white fish. So basically, he just engineered a super low calorie diet by being extremely rigid or, or inflexible with his food choices. And that was worth it for him. That's completely fine. But you, you can see that intuitive eating is not going to offer any kinds of benefits at that point. Like you have to be just as rigid as if you were tracking all your macros very precisely. So if you want to be very, very lean, you're probably better off tracking your macros. You can rely on more objective data. You have an easier time manipulating things. Also, when you're trying to get that lean, you often have to make small adjustments, you know, and we are talking about maybe something like 150 to 100, maybe 200 calorie adjustments daily. And that's a bit trickier to do if you don't track things. Also, at that point, probably your energy expenditure will be 
pretty standard. There won't be large fluctuations in your day-to-day lifestyle because everything is just so calculated like a, like a machine at that point. So probably it also makes more sense to, to count and quantify things precisely. The same thing could be said if you want to be really, really big. So, you know, pro bodybuilders who get up to 120 kilos or, you know, 250 pounds or something or above, you know, I'm not sure that they would just intuitively put down the amount of calories that they need to sustain that level of size. And and the same thing applies for something like a competitive athlete. Like, you know, if you're a professional soccer player, you probably have to be pretty precise, I would imagine. I've never been a, a professional soccer player, unfortunately, and it still hurts. But, you know, it's just the reality. So I, I guess you have to be pretty precise with how you're replenishing um, glycogen stores and things of that nature. So, you know, barring these extremes, when you're really, we're talking about competitive athletes who are striving to be their best, Excluding these situations, the type of body composition that most people are after, which is, you know, being lean, being muscular, being a lot more muscular than the average person, being a lot leaner than the average person, having some abs, looking good on the beach, that kind of stuff. I would say intuitive eating is is perfectly applicable for, you know, I'm somewhere between 10 and 12% body fat and I'm making good progress in the gym. And, you know, could I achieve better results by tracking all my macros? Maybe, but I probably couldn't detect the difference because my goals are simply not ambitious enough so that I could really see what kind of a difference that makes. Like there's just more noise in the day-to-day fluctuations in in how I look and what my body weight does than what I could really quantify or objectify. So I think for probably the good majority of your listeners and and, uh, the kind of the people that that we interact with on a day-to-day basis and the people that we meet in the gym... I think that you can perfectly finally achieve the goals that you want uh, without tracking your macros, assuming that you implement the stuff that that we talked about or you have the prerequisite requirements, which is calorie awareness, knowing your culprit foods, that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. The extremes are, um, we'll most likely have to be excluded because those require such um, unusual amounts of food higher in the low direction but even for someone like i trained a kid who was like 50 kilos and even though i gave him um, nutrient density variation tips so replacing his uh, milk with full fat milk and going for the 10 percent greek yogurt things like that even from those he would under eat because what he deemed a um, suitable portion size was apparently so low initially even the thought of having more than three eggs at in one sitting was scary to him so i think even for someone like that um tracking for a couple of weeks would be a good idea but once you have those habits ingrained especially when if you're a regular person who lost a lot of weight and you just want to lose that weight and then you don't tend to want to bulk up again or go on gaining phases and that kind of stuff in that situation yeah definitely essentially fitness isn't um, a huge preoccupation or huge priority in your life then in that case, um, definitely intuitive eating or the strategies you outlined are something to consider. 100%. Completely agree. So um, if we then want to give some practical tips to the people who maybe want to transition from a strict macro tracking or even not even a strict, even a looser macro tracking to more intuitive eating. I think one of the fears we have to kind of dispel is, um, and I, I, I think I said this in the past previously, so uh, I'm definitely 
guilty for this too but most people and i even saw this a couple of days ago in a facebook group that someone said well if i eat intuitively i'm going to be 400 pounds in a year or something like that well that's certainly feasible and we have an entire uh, world by this point essentially to prove like we can fight people in every corner of, of our world who have done just that so it's definitely possible, but um, if you consider someone who has the prerequisite nutrition knowledge and have good dietary habits, and especially if they have gotten used to how they feel if they eat good quality food, because I think I said this in the past, that for example, when Christmas comes around or something like that, and I go home to my parents and I start eating these uh, fatty fried chicken things or a lot of cakes or things like that, after a day or and a half or so, I just start feeling so miserable, like my stomach hurts, I feel bloated, I'm sluggish. Even though I'm technically full with energy, I'm so tired, like I don't want to move and like I swear for a week all I want to see is lean meats and my Greek yogurt and my cottage cheese and my fruits and my veggies and basically that's all. That's all. So could you address this concern that many people have that, well, I can't quit macro tracking because I'm going to just balloon up to a an obese person? Yeah, that's a great question. And I certainly said the same thing earlier as well, that if I didn't track, I would be, I would just get super fat. And I think that this stems from a couple of sources, this this fear. The, the first thing that is good to mention is, is what you just mentioned, that most people who don't track their macros and they just eat some junk food here and there and, and stuff like that, they, they don't just balloon up to 400 pounds right away. You know, most people you know, of course, we have the obesity epidemic, but probably most of the people that we know are just kind of steadily maintaining a slightly out of shape kind of body. And they have zero idea about any of the stuff that we all have a lot of thought or ideas on. So I know a um, colleague of, of, of my mother, actually, she is eating like the I mean, I couldn't possibly engineer a worse nutritional plan that one, what she has. I mean, she is eating like cooked pasta for lunch you know, bagel for breakfast and then, you know, another bowl of cooked pasta for dinner or something like that. Like no protein, no fiber, just, you know, high carb, high fat sprinkled in with some uh, processed crap that she's eating. And she's basically maintaining her weight year round. You know, she's not ballooning up all of a sudden. And these are the kind of the people that I see around me in general. So this just shows that, you know, the body has a pretty good homeostatic system in place that is able to regulate things based on hunger and satiety. So when you add to the mixture that we do have a lot of nutritional knowledge, you know, we have a lot of good habits ingrained. We exercise regularly. Your resistance train, you know what foods contain protein, what foods contain fiber. Why would you expect to all of a sudden balloon up to 400 pounds? It's just not going to happen for most people. However, I think when that fear is in place, I think that stems from either... The fact that the person who is saying that is in their honeymoon phase with macro tracking, like I was, you know, as I said, I didn't intend to ever give up macro tracking, even though I eventually did. Or maybe they have a misconception about what intuitive eating is. So, you know, when I started putting out content on this on my YouTube channel, I've gotten some comments like, you know, someone could justify just eating all kinds of junk and overeating because they are not tracking it. And you know, some people think that if uh, you're not tracking that all of a sudden somehow calories just won't count or it will offer some kind of a magic. Like, no, like overeating on a whole bunch of donuts or just uh, intuitively snacking out of a bag of potato chips, that's never going to work out whether or not you track your macros. So the rules really don't change 
And uh, the same things that, got, that have gotten you to your goals uh, while you were tracking your macros should still guide your progress if you don't track your macros. So it, it's important to realize that, you know, not tracking your macros is not going to offer any kind of magic. The other source that this fear could stem from is, is you know, from people who are just trying to maintain an unreasonably low level of body fat year round. So I know that people can listen to this if they want. Uh, when I did my first interview with Eric Helms, I you can hear me saying there that like, wow, I could not imagine having an issue of not being able to in- eat enough food. Like I can just eat unlimited amounts of food. And, you know, during that time, I was probably maintaining, you know, anywhere between 7 to 9% body fat all the time, which is just too lean for me, you know. And now when I'm just a little bit fatter than that, like not like I'm out of shape or anything, but, you know, between 10 and 12, all of a sudden I don't have that perspective. You know, I, I do find myself sometimes having to put down some more calorie-dense stuff to, to actually gain weight or not under-eat. You know, once you're uh, kind of finding your physiological sweet spots and you're not trying to be too lean all the time and you don't have kind of a a nagging baseline level of increased hunger that is always just kind of nagging you and and pushing you towards being kind of cravy and hungry all the time, then I think this fear can dissipate very quickly. Not to mention that a lot of the people to begin with in the fitness industry are always just kind of on a a permacut. They're always trying to get leaner and be 7% body fat all the time. So when you address all these things, then I think you quickly realize that, you know, why would you balloon up? Why would you get fat? I mean, you have all these things going for you. It's really just a matter of doing it correctly. And then this game can be very successful. There is almost this um, first dichotomy of you are either tracking everything or you just kind of throw all of the habits you've had previously out the window because, well, you're not tracking anymore, so you might as well switch up your entire food source selection because essentially that's what people tell us when they tell, well, I'm going to be 400 pounds because they certainly don't mean that they are going to be 400 pounds from the regular lean protein sources and veggies and whole grains and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and also, like, it's, it's important to point out that, um, you know, giving up macro tracking is, um, well... A, it's, it's actually not obligatory. If you are Ian McCarthy, for example, probably most people listening to this are familiar with him. He said that he just like he just enjoys trekking and it doesn't cause him day to day psychological stress. You know, he has a pretty flexible attitude. On some days he eats more, some days he eats less when he's more or less hungry. He may track macros for the rest of his life and just gives him enjoyment. It doesn't stress him out. So it's not not an obligation to give up macro tracking if it works fine for you and it doesn't contribute to any kind of uh, the psychological kind of down, downfalls that I talked about earlier. But B, if you do decide to give up macro tracking, it doesn't have to be a complete you know 180. You can do it gradually. You can um, track certain parts of your nutrition and not others. You know, for example, I when I was finished with my cut, I wanted to get a good intuition of. Um, what different fat sources looked like in, in different portions. So I wanted to get a good intuitive sense on how to get in the amount of fat that I knew I probably need during a given day. So how does you know 10 to 20 grams of fat look like in the form of different foods from whole food sources like full fat meats, fish and dairy, stuff like that, or you know a small handful of nuts, all these kinds of things. And I was kind of tracking that in my head for a while until I felt like I got a good intuitive sense for it. Or you can, you know, backtrack your calorie intake the next day. You can do all these things to kind of let all your fears dissipate 
uh, that you have initially about what's going to happen if you don't track. So it doesn't have to be a complete radical shift is, is where I'm going with this. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, what you said about um, you thinking that you can just eat unlimited amounts of food. Well, I certainly had uh, my time periods of that kind of thinking. And uh, right now, I'm, shit, I'm not even sure how much I weigh, but I'm probably <laughs> around 88. 89 something like that and like i can still eat but even if i went on a completely ludicrous completely throwing out nutrition quality out the window just like i told you even by simply feeling shitty i i can't see myself going over 95 kilos maybe tops maybe not even that because even right now i'm trying to gain weight but i do it like i told you logging into my fitness pal is no big deal for me at all like It takes me minute and a half, two minutes, because I just copy and paste most things, and then add up some things I eat on some days. But then there's the auto-regulatory component, where, for example, I might eat some sort of a pastry or whatever, and I just estimate that. And I train six days a week, so today is Sunday, and all I had was some protein pudding and a couple of oranges, and I'm not hungry. And I have days, and I fast like 16, 18 hours, not because I <laughs> I feel guilty or anything like that. I just simply not hungry, and I don't really need the calories. And I know I'm going to eat the plenty when I actually work out, so that for me works out perfectly. And I still put on weight, just not some stupid amount, but it's also not unnecessarily slow. One thing that uh, it's a good point to bring up, and I didn't actually mention this in my own podcast episodes, but it was very interesting for me that this was the first time that I really found a good intuition about my own kind of settling points or set points, whether or not they really physiologically exist. You know, there is some intelligent debate around this, but now I know pretty much that... Um, You know, I can get down to maybe like 9% body fat. And physiologically, in, in terms of managing hunger, it works out fine. But just other things like my libido and, and energy levels, some slight preoccupation with food, those kinds of things start to go a little bit south at, at that point. And, and once I realized that, I intentionally kind of force fed myself. So I just intentionally had some more fun with food. You know, I implemented some, okay, let's get some more dark chocolate with my morning coffee, that kind of stuff. And um, I intentionally pushed my body fat up a little bit, up to this just slightly higher, but, you know, between 10 to 12% body fat. And when I get to the 12%-ish mark, that's when I kind of start to feel diminishing returns. It's like, okay, I can push food even more, and um, maybe, you know, these things will improve even more, but not really. Like, I kind of feel pretty full, like, always kind of feel the slight urge to under eat because I just lose my, my hunger signals pretty hard at, at that point, which doesn't necessarily mean that I would not benefit from pushing calories even more to, to make better progress in the gym. But I found that found this nailing down what my body sweet spots are more, more challenging when I was tracking macros because yeah, like, okay, shit, I'm already eating whatever 3000 calories. I shouldn't eat more, or I, I'm supposed to gain And today I only had like 2,200 calories, like I should eat more. Whereas maybe I only ate 2,200 calories because I was not very active today and, and that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, very, very interesting experience to, to go through this. I, I feel like I have a much better intuition as to what my body actually needs than I, than I did before. Yeah, if I had to estimate, I would say my kind of settling point is around 15%, maybe something like that. 
um, but that definitely changes with ex more experience because I have a friend who is a <laughs> good natural bodybuilder and he says he won't go over 12% because, well, he still has competitive goals on one side and uh, on the other hand, he simply feels fine. I mean, he says that around 10-11% he feels the best, he's not hungry at all, so over 12% he starts feeling sluggish yeah. and shit. Whereas uh, right at this point in my journey, 12%, I don't think I would feel all that comfortable. But he has also gone through a contest prep period and essentially he's a bit of a clean eating fan. So he still is aware and, and um, tracks his calories, but he gets them in from the quote unquote clean sources, even though yeah. I hate that term. So um, when you get used to eating that way, then yeah, I kind of see it being hard to go up to 18% body fat, 20% body fat, something like that. Just for yourself, were you a naturally skinny kid growing up? I would say that um, I, I'm more, like I'm not one of these really ectomorphic guys. Like I, I've, I've never had abs, you know, growing up, for example. I only started to have abs once I actually nailed down my, my, my tracking. Before that, never. But I was more on the leaner side. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I would say... If I had to backtrack and, and estimate in retrospect, I would say that once I've gotten into sports and I was an active kid and I tried um, doing some push-ups at home and all that kind of stuff, I would say I generally hovered anywhere between maybe 12 to maybe 16 17%. And that 16 17% is only because... I didn't have a lot of muscle mass. And as you know, like when you don't have a lot of muscle, not like I have tons of muscle now, but when you're, you know, just the average person with average level of muscle mass, then you your body fat levels are actually higher despite being relatively lean. That would make sense then that you find it easier to be a bit uh, leaner. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of finding your body sweet spots and, and, and accepting that, you know, like... I really don't like when people are, um, because they have a certain natural settling range, then they preach that as as the norm that everybody should get to. So, um, so yeah, I settle pretty well around 12%, but if someone settle, settles at 17, 18%, and that's where they feel good, and that's where they have good energy levels, you know, sex drive, not food focus, then, you know, that's that's their best spot to be at, and that's where they should be, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know my stance on the whole insulin sensitivity thing and shoving down those values everyone's throat so we need not go into that um, rabbit hole <laughs> so if you want to give um, some tips to someone who maybe is trying to transition into one or the other um, direction so he she either tries to lose or gain weight what would be some of the strategies they could implement let's say take them one at a time Maybe if someone tries to lose weight, and then on the other hand, if someone tries to gain weight. So um, first, as we mentioned, it's important to get a good calorie awareness, I think. So um, if you have never tracked macros before, then I would say it's a valuable experience. You know, just note down what you ate, and um, at the end of the day, just look at each food item and add up the calories to the best of your abilities and, and see what happened. And if you, your calorie intake is very high or very low, then just see what went wrong or what can you do better ne the next day. And do this for a week or so, and you will get a pretty good um, kind of sense of what kind of foods uh, will contribute to the appropriate calorie intake for you. If you are not in this boat and you have been tracking calories and macros for a long time, then of course this is not necessary. And then I would say if you want to start out with, with an intuitive approach, first just take a second to think about how your day-to-day -day nutrition would look like depending on your goals. So 
to give an example, if I would want to cut right now, I would know that, okay, my best kind of cutting foods are lean protein sources with some full-fat protein sources in one or two meals. So, you know, some eggs in some meals, some fatty fish, some full-fat dairy, maybe um, lots of veggies and lots of fruits. And from fruits, um, people who know me know that uh, frozen berries are my ultimate food choice, (laughs) whether I'm gaining, maintaining, or cutting, but especially during a cut, I would eat a lot of those. And, you know, I would go very easy or skip entirely on isolated fat sources, such as oils, butters, nuts, dark chocolate. You know, those things are very tasty and add flavor to foods, but they add up calories very fast without providing a lot of satiety. So I know that in in a general sense, that's how my nutrition would look like. And then I would just basically start eating that way and see what would happen with my body composition. If after one or two weeks, it it doesn't go in the direction I I want it to go in, then uh, I would uh, just modify a couple of things. Maybe I would modify my my food choices here and there a little bit. And um, I think that basically each meal should be eaten to the point where you feel really, really good and full. Not not full to the point of like having serious gastrointestinal issues from bloating, but feeling like you don't really want the next bite because like, man, I, I feel really good. That should be the state that you should get to in each meal. And the only thing that you should modify as much as you can is the foods that you include in the meals so that you can get to this point. So to get to the point where you feel nicely, comfortably full, that will come at a different level of caloric intake depending on what foods you eat. So if you eat peanut butter from the jar, then you will put down a couple of thousand calories probably until you get to this point, or at least I will. Uh, but if you eat you know, veggies, fruits, and some lean protein sources, then you will get to that point by eating uh, one or 200 calories or something like that. So that, that's where you start. And, and from there, you can tweak the other variables. And, and I talked about those in pretty good depth in my podcast episode. So I would recommend people to check that out because, you know, that's, that's a huge topic by itself. But I would generally recommend three or four meals a day for most people. I think in general, that's kind of um, a good sweet spot in terms of timing your nutrients in a way that you can have good pre- and post-workout nutrition. Generally, it prevents you from having to go without food for long periods of time, but you can even make you know, intermittent fasting types of protocols work with that kind of meal schedule. And then from there on, it gets really individual and you can tweak things to your liking and based on your progress. So maybe you have a difficult time nailing down when to stop eating and um, you're really just eating to the point of being kind of stuffed and and too full, which is a mistake I made in the past a lot. In my case, for example, it came down to just being too distracted while I was eating. I I was listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and doing web surfing pretty much while I was eating. And it it was just really hard for me to be nicely in tune with my satiety mechanisms because of this. So that could be something to consider or maybe modifying at some point the variety of flavors in in your meals. So the more flavors, sweet, salty, bitter, sour, you know, all these kinds of different flavors, the more of these you have in a given meal, generally the more calories you will consume. So if you are really trying to push fat loss, maybe you can try to modify that, maybe only sticking to salty or only sweet foods in any given meal. Or if you are trying to gain weight, maybe having some more fun with your meals and, you know, make sure to have some nice dessert after your meals because that can, in a sense, reset your appetite a little bit. So these are kind of the the psychological tricks and tips that you can implement 
And I think for most people, those should only be necessary if your progress actually stalls. If it doesn't stall, then I think to a large extent, you will be just fine with just playing around with your food choices and that will get you a long way. So um, general summary, think about the food choices that you would have on your nutrition. So plan a little bit ahead, start eating according to that. And then when your progress stalls, then look into these other things like meal timing, flavor variety, mindfulness, um, paying more attention to hunger and satiety cues, all that kind of stuff. So that's that's where I would start. I think that's an excellent um, summary. And I, I'm definitely going to put your two videos in the description again so that everyone can check those out and get uh, into the more nitty-gritty details of this. Awesome. I think we covered this topic pretty nicely. So just as a quick summary, I think the most important thing is to be mindful of the food choices you make, especially in today's environment. And especially if you're someone who struggles with um, being too heavy. In that case, um, listening to your body and paying attention to every ad or ad every um, shiny label on the shelf is probably not a good idea. And if you're someone who is um, on the opposite side, maybe you will have to get a bit uncomfortable if you are someone who just um, ends every meal before that point so for them actually feeling a bit a bit uh, fuller than um, they would like to be that would be required to achieve the goals they want yeah and and those are the people who are in the best position so you know when i i hear of people who have a hard time getting in enough calories that's uh, that's always a tricky one because that that's a very that's a state of mind and a, and, a, and a position that to cherish and and to conserve you know you want to be appreciative that you have that kind of a problem because that means that you probably have a really good relationship with food and eating you kind of view food as as fuel and you don't you know don't derive that much enjoyment out of it so basically it's almost a matter of just pushing yourself more towards you know on the spectrum of viewing food purely as fuel and something to just get out of the way to fuel your body and uh, on the other end to you know viewing food as a, a major source of enjoyment and deriving ex- extreme pleasures it's just a matter of pushing yourself a little bit on that spectrum towards the pleasure side of things so you know if you're in that position then you're a lucky man or lucky woman because you have some fun times ahead of you yeah well there are those people that uh, don't find enjoyment in eating all the delicious foods we like to eat so those are some weird people and i don't want to be friends with them <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm in the balkans right now i'm in macedonia and um i'm yet to meet one person like that in the balkan area i have to say so in case anyone wants to catch up with you on social media want to check out your content your podcast that we've already mentioned where should they go basically if you just google or type into youtube sustainable self-development which is a really screwed up name but i wanted to give some um, honor to my environmental science background then they will find me probably on soundcloud if they type in my name which is well you'll probably see it written down here i have a really messed up last name so i won't even pronounce it right here but if you Google sustainable self-development, you will find me. And my podcast is, um, you can primarily find it on SoundCloud at the moment. And you can find all of them on YouTube. And uh, I'm on iTunes as well. You can find me on Instagram as well. I have a really pathetic Instagram account, but I'm trying to plug the podcast episodes that I have uh, coming up. I have that going on and I'm trying to bring to life my uh, Facebook presence with the podcast as well. So if you uh, search for on Facebook for sustainable self-development, then uh, you should find me there as well. And if you have any questions, comments, or anything like that, then you can reach out and uh, 
you know, at this point, I'm small enough that I respond to everything. So yeah, awesome. I will make sure to link all those in the description box of this episode. Cool. Awesome. So with that, uh, we have arrived to the final question of the episode. What is your definition of success? Ooh, my definition of success. That's a very good one. I would say my definition of success is um, to get get to a place where you get up each day and you're excited about your upcoming day and you're excited about everything you do and that you have a general urge to be a, a workaholic. Because when you're a workaholic, that's a state, of course, you can do it out of compulsion. You can do it out of just an unhealthy drive to feel better about yourself or not feel guilty. But in general, the people around me that I I see who are in that kind of state where they just can't leave the office and they're always thinking about work, usually they are kind of really passionate about what they're doing. And each moment that they spend working on, on the, their stuff is just bringing them a lot of enjoyment. Basically, you want to be the kind of person who has to pay attention to leave work behind, I think. To me, it's kind of like, like jealousy. You know, Jealousy in a relationship is something that we look at as a, as a bad thing. But I think if you're not jealous at all, that's just an indication that you just, you just don't really care about the other person. So you want to be a little bit jealous, but you don't want to take it too far. So you have to manage that. And I think it's the same thing with work. I think you want to be the person who has to pay attention to not drive themselves crazy with, by working all the time. But if you have the urge to just leave the office behind as soon as you're done with working, that's probably an indication that you just don't really like what you're doing. And you should modify either your attitude or you know try to shape your working life in the direction uh, that it brings you more you know, satisfaction and fulfillment. It was a very work-oriented uh, approach because I guess that's the stage of life that I'm in right now, but th- that would be my definition of success. Thank you for that. And um, thank you for giving up your time today to do this. And I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. It was really fun. So that was episode 12 of the Muscle Engineer podcast with Abel Chabai. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. Now, as usual, let's go into what I thought were the top three most important takeaway points from this episode. Point number one is about the ROI of tracking. While tracking our food is our most accurate method yet, it has a bit of learning curve to it and can be tedious to do every day. However, it shouldn't be viewed as an all or nothing method. You can implement different degrees of accuracy. You can track just calories and protein. You can simply aim for a minimum protein amount. You can track all three macronutrients. You can even just log what foods you eat every day without even mentioning quantities. The possibilities are, well, they are not endless, but there's quite a lot of them. All these approaches are fine and work better or worse in particular scenarios. However, I think people get too attached to it, just like anything else. If you feel like you need a break from tracking, great, take a break. If however you are like me and it takes no psychological effort to log your food and it makes you happy, go for it. So just because ad libitum dieting is perfect for some people doesn't mean tracking is a burden for everyone and you should automatically quit it. Point number two is about the definition of intuitive eating that Abel gave. Intuitive eating doesn't mean eating whatever you want, however much you want, or abandoning all principles. Intuitive eating means eating according to your goals based on a set of core guidelines and habits you already have. So keep this in mind if you want to try this and uh, think you should buy a box of donuts because you went by a donut shop and the smell hit you and your intuition said it would be a good idea. Point number three relates to point number two and is a logical extension of it. Intuitive eating implies you have a set of good habits and staple food items that make up your diet already. We all see what intuitive eating looks like in the real world 
in people with no nutritional knowledge. It leads to population that's 30% obese and mostly overweight. So if you want to transition into ad libitum dieting, please make your job easier and acquire a base nutrition knowledge. Take some time to learn what is a caloric density, what are the three micronutrients, which foods contain which of them, and roughly how many calories you need to consume each day according to your goals, and so on. Don't just jump into the deep water without anything to hold on to, because you might end up drowning yourself. Okay, so those were my top three takeaways. What were yours? Let me know in a comment or message me. As always, if you liked the episode, share it with a friend and check out the previous ones too. Thanks again and see you next week. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andre. If you did, be sure to check his podcast out. It's called the Muscle Engineer Podcast. Uh, like I said, if you want to check out the entirety of this, uh, then check out the link that is provided in the description below. And I hope you will find those episodes valuable. If you're interested in uh, progressing towards your goals, body composition-wise, and don't want to track your macros, then I think this is one of the better guides out there, certainly on YouTube. I hope uh, you will give that a go if you haven't already. And with that, see you in the next episode. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave a comment and subscribe if you watch this on YouTube. If you listen to this on iTunes, please leave a rating to help this stuff grow. SoundCloud and Podbeam, you can just follow me to be notified on future episodes. And to be a contributing member of this podcast, join the Sustainable Self-Development Facebook group where you can drop ideas about future podcasts. I very often ask my listeners for tips and advice on who to get on next. So if you're interested in getting into discussions like that, be sure to join the Facebook group. And if you don't want to go through the searching process, just click one of those links in the show notes slash video description. It is all there. All right. Thanks for hanging around up until now and see you next time.